0: Welcome to the inaugural soccer pod. This is the soccer pod. My name is Carter Krishner. He's Steven Willis. He's stuck in Nashville traffic, which is no surprise because Nashville has some of the worst traffic in the country. Stephen, uh, Steven, how are you today? Doing quite well, man. I'm just trying to make it in the direction of my house. Maybe we can call and talk some soccer. Absolutely. It's it's better than talking Ole Miss Football, right? Right. It is what it is. It is what it is. And uh, um, Andy Kennedy, your former coach, hanging around Birmingham, uh, potentially taking uh, another uh, job in the near future, near another coaching job. But uh, this is a soccer pod. This is the soccer pod. So let's get to soccer. Uh, Steven, uh, you and I have been around the game for a while. We've seen the way things have unfolded the last few years. And, and there seems to be more and more of a clamoring on the grassroots level, particularly in the southeast where we live for open soccer, open leagues, independent clubs. what are your thoughts about all of this stuff? Well, it's going to come down to a demand issue that just can't be filled at the highest level you need.
1: For a sport to really take off its potential, there's a saturation level that is required. and under the current setup, it's just not possible. Um, so an open system, and it can be tweaked. It doesn't have to be adversarial. It can work in concert with the other leagues and allow for separate pyramids as necessary, church and state for a while if you need to. But it will allow for that saturation to where Dubuque, Iowa kids and Jackson, Mississippi kids have the same opportunity as Dallas, Texas
0: kids and Miami, Florida kids. Uh- and from there, everything will take Absolutely. Uh, You know, soccer as a grassroots sport, as a sport that is a participatory sport, uh, there should be no disenfranchisement here based on market size, based on television uh, ranking, based on metropolitan area, MSA. It should be based on sporting merit, on other metrics. And there's no reason why kids in Miami or Dallas should have an advantage over kids in Dubuque and Des Moines. And Jackson, Mississippi, etc. Uh, the more and more people I talk to, Stephen, they seem to get this concept because I think ultimately what we found in the last few years is that where there are soccer hotbeds—people who really get behind the sport and get engaged in the sport at every level, participatory, coaching, refereeing, supporting a small local club—are places like Chattanooga. There are places like Kingston, New York. There are places like Little Rock, Arkansas. It's not necessarily in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Miami, those sorts of places. Yeah, and cultures in those cities are quite different. Um,
1: the smaller cities has more of that college vibe. the SEC country in the southeast, um, the ACC country in the southeast.
0: And it's not the big, for lack of a better word, in American sports, but um,
1: over-sanitized product. Uh, this is this, and this is that. But in college, you have more of this, for lack of a better word, it's more rah-rah. And that allows for people to get behind those communities because they're often overlooked communities, and those communities will have a chip on their shoulder. And that is a perfect backdrop for athletic
0: athletics. Stephen, you've got some experience uh, in an AD's office uh, working uh, at the college sports level. This is a common theme now that seems to come up when I talk to even executives in the game who are not working in Major League Soccer. They talk about college sports conferences, their footprint, and replicating that in some form, uh, and, and then also the, the energy and enthusiasm. We'll get to that in a minute. Talk a little bit about regional play. Talk a little bit about state play and how that could stimulate interest and growth in this sport. Well, I'm kind of call country in the world
1: um, yeah. over 300 million people 32 markets, that is 32 teams, that is 32 academies um, That there's no way for that to be an overly successful model as far as getting the U.S. to the point where, where we all want it to be but you can't just throw everybody into a pot and do some kind of an open system where you have the potential for a team from Beaufort, Georgia having to go to Santa Ana, California, and it's just too much there and it would never work. So it's going to have to be regionalized. And the best way to do that is probably at the state level, honestly, where you can just build up inside those same high school sports rivalries that have existed for generations and just let that go out until you have a state championship. And then you expand out of that to either a regional or your first national league. You can get there via tournament. Um, there's a lot of things you can do, but that starting point of that extreme hyper-local nature, which is honestly what is making the game thrive in the U.S. right now, um, would be the same thing that would allow that to grow.
0: So think a little bit about uh, high school football and high school basketball and state championships. I, mean, I know so many people love the movie Hoosiers, which is about the 19, early 1950s Indiana State uh, basketball championships uh that that, that's a logical building block so there should be no restriction on um on market size how many teams you can have in a certain area so you mentioned dallas and miami at the outset uh right now in the miami metropolitan area we're having all kinds of uh uh discussions about this about lockhart stadium in fort lauderdale should there be a second division team that occupies that 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 space because, and the MLS team wants to claim it for their training ground, right? They're already going to play in another stadium in the metropolitan area 20 miles away, but they want to claim their academy and training ground to, to own a market. The point is, in a metropolitan area the size of Miami, Miami-Fort Lauderdale, you could have 20 teams. Uh, and we have to- many, many teams in NPSL and UPSL in this metropolitan area. You could have 20 teams playing in an open system, each town, each su- suburb facing off against each other, kind of replicating where there are high schools and where there's high school competition. Yeah, you have the big, the big clubs that would inevitably
1: end up in Miami or Tampa or Orlando or Jacksonville, and then all of a sudden you would get the rivalries where the upstart team from Lakeland that a big crop of academy players have come through, and they have a chance to make a run in the state. You don't think that would be a big deal for a professional team in Lakeland, Florida to go through and do that? It would be huge. And People get caught up on professional and amateur and all that. The system essentially needs to be compensation agnostic, age agnostic. You have teams. The number one requirement for the bottom level is a place to play where you can charge admission. People have said that. That is the standards to start with, and then allow it to build from there. As everything builds up, the standards will improve and um, be able to be more. TV friendly, I guess is the way to put it. Uh, but at the bottom levels where it starts, it needs to be easily accessible, is cheap to get into, and just let it grow, just, just planting the see
0: So, so think about this, Stephen. You you make some great points here. If you make the game accessible, if you if you set admission prices at $6, $8, and you play in public parks, you play in uh, regional facilities, local facilities, you really get that kind of hyper-local energy where these clubs become community institutions, much like high school football programs have become. And in some places, uh, some fairly bigger places, college football programs, college basketball programs, uh, you get that hyper-local angle, which then makes these clubs much like the clubs in europe now that's why there is so much this is the disconnect between major league soccer and the clubs in europe you know you'll hear mls apologists talk about uh and i I don't want to use the term mls apologists sorry i'm gonna walk that back mls fans because there are there are some mls apologists there are also some people in in this country quite frankly who are too antagonistic towards major league soccer so i don't want to be on either side of that fence um we want to work and talk with everybody but There are some people who are fans of MLS who I don't think quite grasp the reason why there's so much passion and interest in the European game um, and European clubs in this country. And I think it has to do with the angle you're talking about. They're hyper-local community institutions and in places like Germany, they're even owned by their communities. So um, that's something that... Uh, and and there's going to be no restriction on ownership in an, uh, in, in types of ownership in in an open system. We're not suggesting that, that, that each club has to be community owned, but that is one potential model for, for operating and owning a club in an open system. It could be anything from the community owned all the way to the single rich guy that wants a pet project to a couple of old players that want to keep a tradition alive. Um, anything it does us no good if we are separating and drawing lines in the sand that really just don't need to be there honestly
1: Uh, I'm actually a proponent of the closed system Um, we're kind of on flip sides I like the closed system I don't like the closed system for the U.S. national team Um, there's the difference there so how do we benefit most the U.S. national team which means how do we benefit soccer in America And that comes, honestly, from more teams. And the best way to get more teams
0: is in an open system. And more teams specifically in places where uh, we're not getting players coming through the system right now via MLS academies or other uh, uh, DAs. So uh, more teams in local areas where there are players playing soccer at a young age... And they're very good athletes. And I I think as we have this discussion, we can talk about the need to have a a Texas state league potentially, or a Florida state league, uh, a California state league where you had all these clubs in an open system with incentive to recruit kids, bring them through their uh, academies, bring them through their clubs from their community and develop them uh, properly. And, once you get that system going, I think you'll have, uh, instead of a player pool, when we look at the U.S. men's national team now, we're excited about this generation of players. I think we all are. Um, and every single one of those guys we're excited about right now is, is, is playing overseas, uh, with one or two exceptions. I think George Bello in Atlanta is, is an exception, obviously, and Reggie Cannon in Dallas. But um, if you look at this generation of players, um, we're still talking about uh, choosing our first 11. And our, and our, the, the, the 23 we're going to take to Qatar in four years from about 30 or 35 names, realistically. What we will have in an open system by 2030 or 2034 is we will be like Germany, Spain. Uh, well, actually, we'll probably be more better than Germany and Spain in terms of the, the sheer number of players we can choose from. The sheer and then that competition will bring out the best in our players and they'll reach a, an even higher level. So... Yeah. I, I I tend it's to agree to with you. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you about the closed system. I think there are certain protections, investor protections, in a closed system that make sense, and I understand why American sports are organized that way. Now, and not all closed systems are are the same. Um, quite honestly, but there's far more restrictions in how you can conduct your business and and operate in the National Football League than there are in Major League Baseball. I mean, not every Closed base, closed franchise-based league is the same. I, I think MLB is much more uh, ha- allows much more independence in, in how they allow their their individual franchises to operate. Um, so even when we talk about closed systems, there are distinctions that can be made. But yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And this is the thing that makes me so excited about this podcast and whatever kind of projects we uh, we take from this podcast going forward. I want to kind of um dial it back a minute here Stephen, and talk about why we're doing this so uh, from my perspective i want to educate inform and discuss why open systems and hu- hyper local soccer can aid player development and the growth of the sport in this country um how about you i am doing this because i think we have a severe saturation problem i'm from a
1: state that never has um professional sports teams, occasionally a minor league baseball team in Mississippi, and I thought, you know, there's no way that pro sports will has the chance under our model to go there. And without that saturation, you have a problem. Even without a team in any real soccer presence whatsoever in Mississippi, they put three players in MLS over the last few years. And honestly, they're exciting players. Now, take that same 2.5 million people population base which consistently leads uh, the country and in, prospects into the National Football League per capita take that same athlete base and then saturate it with soccer make that the sport yeah that's, that's how, that is
0: just ultimate growth no and even, even in, in basketball so uh, I've been around programs that have been coached by Leonard Hamilton with Stan Jones as his assistant Um, but between Miami and Florida state, I've seen countless kids from Mississippi come through those programs in Florida because per capita, there were better, more good athletic basketball players in Mississippi than there were in Florida, the fourth, third most populated state now in in the union. Think about that for a minute when you're talking about your state, you didn't mention which your state was, but Mississippi is the state you're referring to, um, and I, I have experience with, with a with a, uh, a person I knew here in South Florida who, who I lost touch with but was from Mississippi. He had no interest in, 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 in Major League Soccer until Justin Mapp, who he knew growing up from Mississippi, uh, was an MLS. And then he began to follow the league and kind of get interested in soccer as a result of that. So even in places like Mississippi, I think if there's some sort of local angle um, – you You will get involved in this sport. The sport is addictive. once you 're in it, um, it's like nothing else. I mean the only thing comparable in my mind in, in, uh, in American sport is is college football and college basketball. Um, and even that doesn't quite have some of the just the community hooks and uh, all, all of the kind of um, joy you get from this sport. So uh, I, I completely agree with you uh, let's also before we, we conclude this first introductory ep- episode. Uh, talk a little bit about the southeast United States, where both you and I are from, uh, where uh, I've lived uh, almost my entire life. Um, Include Washington DC as part of the southeast, which is kind of well, I lived in Virginia, so <laughs> it is. We're um, Mid Atlantic states, um, but you know, I've lived most, the vast majority of my life in Florida, in various points parts of Florida. Uh, you're from the southeast. This is the. Most fertile region for athletes in the country. It is also the most, um, the most rabid region for college football. What we found in the last five to ten years, Stephen, is there is so much more interest in grassroots soccer, uh, year by year in the southeast, than you can imagine. And it's no coincidence to me that um, these new third divisions that have popped up, Nisa. And and the USL uh, or whatever it's called now, USL League One, have focused heavily on the southeast. Why the map has filled up in US in the USL Championship in the southeast? Why there's so many clubs uh, in the southeast now uh, in MLS and, and and some other cities in the in the southeast and mid-Atlantic vying for MLS clubs, and, and why um, you know the the the, the shining story of, of, of amateur soccer, Chattanooga FC, is also in the southeast. Yeah. It's-
1: trace back to something as simple as Southern pride. If you live down here for a little bit, you feel pride in your community. It's always been the most community-based place I've ever really been. Um, no matter where you go in the South, it's it's Nashville, it's Auburn, it's Tuscaloosa. You know, it's these hyper-local locations that people's, people, for lack of a better word, they want to protect, and they want to, and they also want an avenue against your town, and it just really works in soccer, it just always has, and I think it's kind of funny that the narrative forever was that um, the South doesn't do soccer, they they'll never do soccer, it, it'll never work there, and we'll just let the Pacific Northwest have their thing, and we'll stick to some of the major markets here, and just we just can't go into the South because they don't care, and my goodness, what would MLS look like right now, if they had started this
0: whole process five years ago, five yeah. Years earlier. yeah, no, and in fact, I think the thing that's most telling again is just the rabid nature of Southern fans and how if 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 you put uh, you put a big soccer club in a town which is used to supporting college football, uh, where where there are a lot of college football fans like Orlando and Atlanta. You see the result. We're going to see it in Nashville this year. Or, excuse me, next year uh, in, in, in 2020. Uh, and we might see it in some other point in the Mid-Atlantic real soon. I think the other thing that uh, is so compelling is the idea that a team from... Not, not that this is going to happen this year. <laughs> could take a theory in the U.S. open cap. But a team from Birmingham could play a team from Atlanta. If you've lived your life in Birmingham, Alabama, other than, you know, whatever... Uh, uh, minor league foot or fall or spring football league team has come through, right? The uh, USFL team and then the World League of American Football. This new league now has a team in Birmingham. Uh, the XFL had a team in Birmingham, right? Other than that, you have always been rooting for Atlanta teams, you've always been forced to root for the Falcons, uh, the Hawks, uh, and, the, and now Atlanta United. Also, uh, who am I forgetting? I forgot some uh, the Braves, obviously. And, and TBS penetrated with the Braves. How cool would it be? For the fans in Birmingham to have their first year USL Championship Club play Atlanta United in a game that means something in the U.S. Open Cup. That's the sort of thing you don't get in other sports. So uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Birmingham, Alabama, Little Rock, Arkansas, all decent sized places that had never had professional teams that would compete against the, the, the cities where they're forced to gravitate with their, with their professional sports fandom. The St. Louis's, the Atlanta's, the Nashville's, the Charlotte's. So that's, that's something that I think is just super cool about this sport and the idea of open, open leagues. Now, the U.S. Open Cup we have, and that is an open competition. That's why it's called the U.S. Open Cup. But we're talking about a year, year-round um, permanent league structure um, that can fulfill this. Yes, and a structure that is set up in a way that at least in the,
1: in the beginning can serve as basically a combine and a way for these athletes to work their way up, even while the other leagues are closed. Uh, Give them something at the bottom. Get them properly trained up and give them a goal to shoot for. Uh, Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to take U.S. soccer to where it needs to be.
0: I completely agree. and In the next few weeks and coming coming weeks and months on this uh, show, Stephen, we're going to be – exploring these topics a little deeper we're going to be talking to some people about these topics uh we're hoping to interact with all of you listening about uh open leagues open football open soccer whatever you want to call it regional community-based uh play and uh a structure that will um that will help enhance the level of play and the level of fandom for all of us so um Correct. Yes, that's very important. And a way to actually take advantage of um, trends in, in, in technology and in uh, fan interaction as well. That's a big part of it. So, um, hint
1: yeah, for everybody, we have a system. We have a plan. We're going to overlay it out for you over
0: the next few weeks. A- a- absolutely. And, and, and Stephen Willis, thank you. This has been a great first, first show. Uh, and we are going to begin laying out elements of this plan and these ideas in the coming weeks and months to so stick with us. This is the soccer pod. Subscribe via uh. So go ahead and subscribe to us. We're going to be rolling this out on iTunes, Stitcher, all of the uh, the podcasting apps that you're so used to using in the next in the coming weeks and months. Maybe at first it's going to be a little clunky. You'll have to go to SoundCloud. You'll have to go to whatever Anchor to get it. But uh, we promise, eventually, we'll be uh, as convenient and as user friendly as as every other podcast you listen to. Um, so. For Stephen Willis, I'm Carter Krishnir. We will catch you next week.